Hey, if y'all don't know this, uh, there's a group of people every week that come in for hours ahead of time and prepare um, to lead us in worship every night. Would you guys just give them a hand? They do this thanklessly all the time. Thank you, guys. Um, hey, welcome. It's 2016. It's a new year, and you're here. New Year's resolutions. That's great. Um, I, uh, I honestly, I'm a little um, jaded with New Year's resolutions. I sat around with my small group the other day, and um, every single guy, I said, any of you guys make New Year's resolutions? And every single one was like, nah. And, and I don't think it's because we don't need to make resolutions. It's because we're so defeated from like every year we haven't followed through. But um, uh, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, in light of this sermon series, in light of um, what we want and where we're going this semester, what kind of goals we have, what kind of life we're anticipating, what do we desire, who do we want to be, what kind of life do we want to have. We're going to talk about that. But um, first, anybody who um, is returning, thank you for coming. I don't know what this says. What? <laughs> I've never seen that picture, but check this out. I officiated, uh, this may, you may think this is ridiculous. I officiated a seven and a half minute wedding underneath the Market Street Bridge this weekend and it was freezing cold. Um, but it was my stepsister and I was super pumped to get to officiate that wedding. Um, I'm actually totally rooting for the Panthers, whatever. Um, we all know God wants the Seahawks to win. Just, we'll see it play out. Anyway, um, you go Hawks. Uh, I'm, anyway, um, uh, for those of you guys who are coming back, thanks for being here. It's an honor to get to share life with you um, and to get to teach in this context every week. If you're new, welcome. Um, this is a Tuesday night worship service at the house. Uh, the house is a, a college ministry. It's a non-denominational, non-profit college ministry that is just for students um, here in Chattanooga, college students in Chattanooga. So we're supported by um, a couple hundred um, donors, um, about seven different local churches of different denominations, a couple foundations. It's pretty wild um, that all these people come together for one purpose, and that's to see you coming to a deeper knowledge and love of Jesus. That's it. We are a ministry that's about discipleship. Um, and, and this sermon series that we're starting tonight fits into uh, all of this stuff does actually. Um, that, that a hope that we have for you in discipleship that is really particular this semester, I think our whole staff has talked about this and doubled down on this, is we wanna see you grow in maturity as disciples of Jesus. We wanna see you not only grow as disciples, um, but, or this is implied in it, but we wanna see you become disciple makers. And I'm telling you that now because I don't think you should ever have to guess what our agenda is and what our hope is. I think when I begin to tell you about the, um, the kingdom that Jesus Christ is offering, we'll see the same thing. He's not hiding anything. He's pulling everything up in front of our eyes and our hearts and our mind and saying, do you want this? Lifting up the dignity of who each of us are and the freedom of our decisions and our choices and saying, you choose. I'm not gonna coerce you, manipulate you, anything like that. I'm not gonna give you a big sales pitch. I'm gonna tell you how it is and see what you want. And so I wanna be honest with you, what I want is to see you all be disciples of Jesus. I wanna see that. Um, that's what we're about here. Um, that's our hope for you, whether it's just coming to Tuesday night, whether you're one of the 350 people in core groups or on missions or just hang out in the hub downstairs or meet with one of the seven members of our staff or our student leaders um, to just be discipled by somebody older than you. I don't care what it is in our ministry, we are about seeing you become disciples of Jesus. That's what we're about. So I'm glad you're here. Um, the sermon series this semester is on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and uh, I'm excited for this series because I think my suspicion is that many of us in this room have decided 
at some point to follow Jesus, we've decided to become a Christian or follow Jesus. Not all of us, but many of us in this room have. Um, and yet I'm not really sure if, if we all know where he's leading us. So I've decided, Jesus, I, want, I, I agree sort of intellectually or in my heart or whatever uh, to follow you. I made that decision at camp or when I was seven or something. Um, but I'm not entirely sure what it means now. What do I do next? Where are you taking me, Jesus? We don't really know what following the king entails sometimes. And so we're gonna explore that. And my hope um, is that you consider whether or not you want what Jesus has to offer. And we're gonna look at that for the next eight weeks. So um, if you know nothing about Christianity, if you can start with a blank slate and you knew nothing about it, and you picked up the Bible and you opened up to the New Testament, and the first book in the New Testament is what? Anybody know? Okay, well, it's Matthew, yeah. Uh, it's okay if you don't know that, that's fine. You gotta start somewhere. Um, if you open up the New Testament and you start reading the book of Matthew, what you'll find in the first four chapters is a lot of stuff about who Jesus is. You'll find that he's related to David. He's somehow the, the, the fulfillment of some um, promise of a coming savior, Messiah. You'll find that he is um, somebody who has won in some kind of combat with the devil. One of his, his cousins, one of his friends says that he's gonna baptize people with fire, whatever that means. He's talked about as being God with us and God for us. You see him do miracles, healing people, casting out demons. You, you see a lot about who Jesus is. But if you're just, if you don't know anything about Christianity and you're just reading Matthew and you're going through it, what you find is you aren't really sure when he starts to say something like this, because he only speaks very few times in the first four chapters. He says, at one point he says this, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Luke, another writer in the New Testament, would say that when Jesus began his public ministry, this is what he started with. He went out and started saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is near. And I, I read that in the first four chapters, but I have no clue what he means by that. And if you didn't know anything else about Christianity, by the end of chapter four, the question that is probably in your mind, if you're just reading it straight through as a narrative, is, well, what is this kingdom like? Like, I see, I, I, I can identify a little bit with, or, or maybe I don't agree with it, but I see who they're saying, who Matthew is saying Jesus is. But what exactly is he up to? What's he up to? And this is where the Sermon on the Mount begins to pick up. To my left and to my right are some window frames right here in these things, right? And I want you guys to imagine this for the, for the whole series, that the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like a window. It's kind of like a window that the closer we get to it, the more we can see through it, right? If there's a, like there's a window in that door right here in the back of the sanctuary, um, and then it's, I don't know, from here it looks like this big, you know, it's probably about this big, um, and I can see part of a curtain back there, and that's it. But if I go right up next to that window and I press my face up to it, I can see almost the entire foyer and the entire hallway, right? Like the closer that I move into and get, the closer I get to a window, the more I can see what's outside. You follow me? And I want you to imagine that the Sermon on the Mount is like a window into the kingdom, the kind of life and the kind of people that God has in store for the world. What is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of heaven like? Where is Jesus wanting to lead you if you give him your life? What does his kingdom look like? Who are the kind of people that make up his kingdom? The Sermon on the Mount is a kind of window through which we get to see all of that. And my prayer is that over the next eight weeks, 
that you desire to see this kingdom come in your life. That as we read the Sermon on the Mount and hear Jesus unfold this picture that he's going to paint for us about what a kingdom of his looks like, my hope is that you desire it, that you follow him, and that you know that he is more than able to lead you into the life that he has in store. That's my hope. Let's pray. We're going to read some scripture and get into it, all right? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing us all together in this place. I ask for your faithfulness, for you to deliver on your promise that where two or more are gathered, or three or more are gathered, that you are present in our midst, that you will speak through your word, that it is alive and active, that your spirit is on the loose in this room, drawing us, calling us to your son, Jesus. As we read your scripture, may it not um, return to you empty. May the seeds of your word sit on our hearts and minds and go deep. May we leave room for roots to grow. And may we see the fruit of your kingdom bear in our lives. Spirit, help people understand your word, that Satan may not take it away. And uh, as we read about the people that you bless in particular, would you give us a supernatural ability to be honest about ourselves and who we are? the desperate needs that we have, the inadequacies that we feel, the very state of our lives. Would you help us, please? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can open up to the end of Matthew chapter four. Um, I don't, you can use your phones or something. Um, or if you haven't memorized, some of you may have done your homework um, that you didn't know you had. Uh, you can memorize it and just go from there. Um, but, but Daniel, would you put up the scripture up here? Um, we're going to look at the end of Matthew chapter 4 and go through the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to read it together. So I'm going to read, say a couple things, and we'll go back through it a little bit more slowly. So um, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach. Stop there for a second. So Jesus is doing ministry in the cities around this area of this mountain. He's healing and casting out demons. Crowds are flocking to him. And he looks toward the crowd and he has some kind of compassion on them and has a desire to see his kingdom come. And so he goes up the side of a mountain, not to get away, but to find a vantage point with which to talk to them from. And he sits down, which in, in the Jewish culture uh, for the rabbis was a posture of a teacher. A teacher would actually sit, not stand when they taught. And so Jesus steps back and it's sort of interesting. I mean, I think for those of us that, um, that, that think that you, you, maybe we're frustrated with this. Sometimes this causes me to question. Jesus stopped healing people for a minute. People were still sick. Cancer still existed in the world. And he stops and he starts talking instead. What's that all about? Why doesn't he just keep working and teach by, uh, by just modeling it all the time? What's the point in him stepping back and talking for a minute? We're gonna explore that in the coming weeks. I just wanna ask the question right now to get something stern in your mind. 
But he does. He stops for a minute, goes up the side of a mountain, sits down, and begins to teach them. These people, if you um, just read it at the end of chapter 4, all these people began to follow him. They began to trust him enough to follow him, but where was he leading them? What was he up to? The kingdom of God is at hand, is the kind of thing he was saying. It's near. If you know the Greek, it could even mean it's breaking through right now into the present reality. The kingdom of heaven or God is so near to us that you can almost reach out and touch it. Touch him. It's at hand, but what is this kingdom like? How will we recognize it? What will it look like? If I told you the kingdom of God is near in your life, could you recognize it? Would you know what to look for? Would you see it breaking through? What does it mean for us to live in it? These are the kinds of things Jesus was about to address when he pauses in front of these massive crowds and he sits down and he begins to teach. And he opens his mouth and then he says this. I don't know what you expect. The Messiah, the king, the high king of all creation is about to preach, according to Matthew, his first sermon. What's he gonna say? And this is how he starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The section right here is called the Beatitudes, which just means supremely blessed. It just means the, the, the most high blessing upon you. We're gonna look at this section again and I wanna go through it a little more slowly because Jesus, in starting this sermon, in telling people what the kingdom of God is like, if he is who he says he is, he could have decided to bless anybody. But look at who he blesses. Is this what you assume when you decide to follow Jesus and you're looking for the way his kingdom is coming in your life? Daniel, if you just follow along with the verses when I go back through it, that would be fantastic, man. We're gonna start with blessed are the poor in spirit. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for, their, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This does not say blessed are those who seek after poor spirits. It doesn't say blessed are you if you want to have poor spirit. What does that even mean? It doesn't say that poor spiritness or the poverty of spirit is in and of itself a great thing or a blessed thing. It's not a command. Read it. It's not a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not, if you want to follow Jesus, go be poor in spirit. That's not what it says. This is Jesus saying to anyone who is already poor in spirit, to all those who already know their own sense of being poor, to everyone in this room who does not feel like a spiritual giant, to those of us who struggle to know how to pray because we don't feel like we have enough spirit or faith who feel so often like we have nothing to offer, who know that without the help, without help, we're powerless, 
to increase our faith or strengthen our spirit. To those of us who feel like this and know this deeply, what do you think Jesus says to you? Do you think he says, grow up? Do you think he says, go do your spiritual exercises and increase your faith? Do you think he says, you need to be like that person sitting right next to you who has great strength and spirit, who's rich in spirit? No, he comes alongside you, he comes to you, looks at you, and he says, blessings on you, bless you. For those of us who are poor in spirit, acknowledge our need of help and look to God for help. And what blessing and what grace that he comes to us when we are so poor in spirit that we have nothing to offer him. We have no leverage over God. We have no way to secure a blessing from him. Nothing like this. He's the king of his kingdom. He can do what he wants. He comes out of sheer grace. But if he's the king of his kingdom and he gives himself to the poor in spirit, he also gives them his kingdom. And I want you to notice in this verse, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is, not theirs will be, not there someday, there's someday it will be, but the present reality right now, Jesus has special blessing to move toward those of us who are poor in spirit. And he says, right now yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's a present fact. The kingdom does in fact belong to the poor in spirit even now. And then he moves on to say, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Again, this is not a command or a suggestion. He's not saying, go mourn. He's not saying that. He says, blessed are those who mourn. There's no sense in going about seeking mourning. It's just a fact for some people that they are mourning. It's not a blessing for those who look sad or who look pitiful or, 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 or have a victim mentality or just have bad days. It's not that. You may not even know the people in this room who are mourning deeply. It is for those who have sorrow upon sorrow buried in their hearts and in their minds. We may not see it, but there are those in our midst who have a deep sense of mourning and the king says, blessings on you who mourn, for you shall be comforted. At this point, I've just read two of nine and there's a part of me that is resisting it. And I wanna to get to that later, but I, I, want, I just pay attention to how you hear and how you listen and if you can even believe that Jesus would come to these people, maybe to you, and say blessings on you in this sort of thing. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What do you think the meek inherit? Meek, which means gentle. It means submissive. It means lowly, those who are easily imposed upon. That's what meek means. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who don't think that they're much. Who don't, see, who don't seek the center of attention, who are too quiet and shy for worldly standards, who sing low and speak softly. Blessed are you, not because of your meekness, not because your meekness deserves it, not because meekness in itself is a blessing, that's not why. Blessings on you because the Lord of all creation has decided that you will inherit the earth. And it's this earth this very place where right now, you in this room who are meek, those of us in this room who are meek, right now in this world, it does not seem like the meek will inherit it. It sure seems like the strong will. 
our science, our sociology, our psychology, our economics, all, all of those things have cultural narratives that tell us the strong will inherit the earth. And here comes Jesus. And he says, the meek will. Blessings on you. This very place you will inherit. It is the very scene upon which you will be seen as a great prince or princess over all creation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those of us who are empty or hungry for righteousness, both inside and out in this very room, who look around and wonder why somebody else is so satisfied. Why are others so satisfied with the righteousness in their lives and in the world around them? Those of us who piercingly know that our own righteousness is not enough. Blessed are you, not because of your hunger, not because of your awareness, not because of what little righteousness you may even have. Blessed are you because God says, if you have that deep sense of hunger and you've never been filled, listen to how God responds to you. Blessed are you because you will be filled. That's why you're blessed. Because God himself has decided that you'll be filled. Because what you hunger for and you have no power to satisfy yourself will one day be filled by the one who is blessing you. These are the first four blessings and all of them point to a lack of things, to a poverty, a mourning, a powerlessness, a hunger. Jesus begins his, what's this kingdom of heaven like? Well, first of all, let me say this, says the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is a place where those who have needs are blessed. Then he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Those who do not return evil for evil. Those who move toward the broken, the fallen, the poor, with compassion and kindness, not judgment. Who consider others' sufferings as their, others suffering as their own. Blessed are you, for you too will be shown mercy. I don't know if you get this, but do you see how this actually assumes the previous blessings, though? For who needs mercy but those who have need? Blessed are you. Blessed are you, the merciful, for you will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those who have never yet seen the purity they desire, they spend all their time decluttering their inner self. Blessed are you, not because you are so pure, nor because you keep thinking that nothing is pure enough, but because the king has decided that you will have your heart's desire, and that is to see God himself. The only thing in all creation and beyond that is pure. To gaze upon purity and have him fill you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. For everyone who stands in the midst of warfare, not desiring peace for your own sake, avoiding conflict, that's not peacemakers, not somebody who just wants the dinner table quiet. That's not what this is about. No shame on those of you who do. That's just not what this is about. This is about those people who enter into warfare, who stand between two warring sides and want peace for them and for the world, who take shots from both sides and are hurt from both sides and are probably accused by both sides to take the other person's side, even though they're not taking anybody's side, but everybody's side. And they stand in the middle and they're unheralded and unknown quite often. And Jesus says, blessed are you who are often missed. And you are blessed simply because God will call you his own, giving you the side of the king. That's why you're blessed. 
And so blessings we have in, in these first uh, seven, we have Jesus blessing not only you of great need, but also you who fight for mercy and purity and peace. And then he has two more. Blessed are those who are, and this is where it gets real heavy if it hasn't been there yet. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness does not guarantee a life without persecution. Quite frankly, God teaches us that our righteousness or our being right with God and right standing with God will almost certainly lead to persecution. Do you want to be righteous? <laughs> Do you hunger and thirst for it? I don't know if you know what you're asking for. We don't seek persecution in this uh, blessedness. The blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. These are not people seeking persecution. They're people seeking righteousness in the world who are persecuted because of it. And our righteousness does not in and of itself guarantee any reward. It seems actually from reading the scriptures, it seems like our righteousness, if anything, guarantees persecution and suffering of some kind. Except that Jesus introduces a promise here. He decides to bless where he doesn't have to. And his blessing is the same as those of the poor in spirit. That even though it may not seem like it in the present, the reality right now is that those of us who are persecuted because of righteousness have received, do receive, the kingdom of heaven. Then he says this to end it. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice how this is so similar to the last one. Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness. That's what he said a second ago. And now he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of righteousness? Interesting, isn't it, that he places his name right here because of me. You who suffer because of Jesus, you're blessed. Not you who suffer for suffering's sake. Not, who, not you who suffer for evil or suffer because of bad decisions that you made. Not that. You who suffer only because of Jesus, because of him who is your righteousness, you are blessed. And not because of the suffering itself but because your righteousness, Jesus, will reward you and you are counted among the great saints of old. And so he finishes this introduction. What is the kingdom of heaven like? He finishes it with those of you who are cast down and thrown out and kicked out. Blessings on you. <laughs> this is how Jesus, the high king of all creation, pictures for us his kingdom. What does this kingdom look like, Jesus? Where are you leading us? If you never asked that question, I would encourage you to do it. Jesus, where are you leading me? What kind of kingdom do you have in store for me? What kind of person do you want me to be? Who am I? How do you see me? What kind of people fill your world, Jesus, with you as king? As we peer into the window and look out over his kingdom that he's giving us a picture of, we see first that his sermon tells us it's a kingdom of blessing, which maybe we would expect, I don't know, but when we expect that it's a blessing for those who are poor, who mourn, who are meek, who hunger for righteousness, not those who necessarily have it, but those who hunger for it, who are merciful, pure, peacemakers, the ones who suffer for righteousness and suffer for Jesus, he says blessings on you. 
Not because of those things, but because Jesus has decided to move toward all of those people with special blessing. If you've grown up in the church, potentially you've heard Beatitudes before, maybe because it's the Bible and you're in the Bible belt, I say blessed are the poor in spirit and you go definitely. Maybe, I don't know. This is something really, really new. This is upside down and inside out from the way we think. Not a single thing that Jesus said is blessed do we in our culture count as blessed? Not a single one. We champion the strong, not the meek. All of us do. In our jobs, in our romances, in our friendships, in, the, in our hobbies. The people that we look up to and we think those are the ones who are blessed. Hashtag. That those people. It's like the only joke you're going to get tonight, so enjoy it. Uh, sorry. And that's two though, so never mind. Okay, uh, but, but those people that we look up to, they're the strong ones, not the meek ones. We champion the winners, not the peacemakers who want everybody to stop fighting and get along. You think about that with the, with the, with the political debate coming up. What person who's standing in the middle wanting everybody to get along powerfully, not just so everybody can quiet down, but to provide real unity and peace. Which, which person is being lifted up and championed in our culture doing that? We champion winners. I know people who, I know people, and, and this is, a, I should be careful not to just throw other people under the bus. When I go to the voting booth, a real thought goes into my mind. And I'm not now telling you what you should or shouldn't do. A real thought goes into my mind. I don't know if I want to vote for either of these people. But if I vote for the person that I really want to vote for, they have no chance of winning. So should I vote for the person that's probably going to win? Or should I waste my vote on somebody else? I have problems with that way of thinking, and I'm not trying to tell you how to think. I'm just trying to confess to you that I have, I've, I've had the Kool-Aid of our culture. And I too struggle. I, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. And I go, whoa, 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 wait, what? I'm pretty sure, Jesus, that those who are strong in your kingdom, right? I want to be, do you know how this goes if you've read the scripture? Jesus, I want to be first in your kingdom. What must I do? And he says, be last. And don't hear that as poetry. Don't hear that as some really cute line that we go, man, that sounds so great. That to love people, I've got to die. And I go, man, that's cool. Like we should, what? This is crazy stuff he's talking about. This is the way he pictures his kingdom. We champion the rich. Not the poor. Which one of you in this room really wants to be poor? Now, I said, it's not a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus didn't say, go be poor like that. But we don't look at somebody who is poor in spirit. We don't look at somebody who has a poverty in their faith or in their life and often lift that up and recognize the blessedness of God that sits on them, that they have actually inherited the kingdom heaven that they've been given the kingdom of heaven by God himself we champion the rich not the poor we champion those and this is a big one for many of us here we actually champion those who are safe and secure golly we want protection and security and we never want to be intruded upon we don't want to be persecuted we don't want to suffer we don't champion that stuff we champion safety so much safety so much safety, in fact, that there is a phrase that captures what your parents have done to you. You're called, in many circles, the bubble wrap generation because we champion safety so, so much. 
And here Jesus is offering blessing to those who are persecuted. The kingdom is something altogether upside down and inside out. Jesus is doing something radically new. When he tells you about what his kingdom is like, it is unexpected. I'm going to come back to this probably near the end of our sermon series, but if you're listening to his sermon, one thing that will happen over and over and over and over and over again at almost every single instance is surprise, if you're being honest. It's surprise, and and one of the things that I was thinking about today is something you always do every time you're surprised is you open your eyes wider every time. Every single time you're surprised, usually your mouth and your eyes. So eat whatever he's offering, but look at him. I don't know, whatever. It's three, going downhill. Uh, But as as I'm listening to the sermon, over and over again, my eyes open up, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, are you serious? I hear your words, Jesus. You just said the poor in spirit are the ones who are blessed. Really? And I want to know where he's going with this because these people in the narrative of, of Matthew, they have been following around, seeing him do things that no ordinary human being can do. There's got to be something to this man. And here comes Jesus to the poor and to the powerless, offering blessing, offering himself, the very king of the kingdom. In the rest of the sermon, we're going to hear a lot. In the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to hear, not like the rest of tonight, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in the next seven weeks, we're going to hear a ton about what we ought to do. Jesus' kingdom is full of a life that we ought to be living and a life that we ought not to be living. Tons of do this and don't do this stuff. Tons of it. We will hear him warn us. We'll hear him direct us. But before he does any of this stuff, he blesses us. This is simply who he is. And he knows that we can't live the life that he has in store. We can't live the life he has in store for us unless he comes alongside us and offers his blessing and his help. The the, the early stuff where Jesus is talking about the blessedness of people in his kingdom, honestly, I was a little nervous in preparing stuff tonight because there's some of you in this room that in my weakness, in my sin, like I get insecure around because you seem super powerful and strong. In your faith, in your actions, you don't seem like you need anything. And I'm going, I need everything. I can't do this, Jesus. I don't have the feelings. I don't have the discipline. I don't have the faith. I don't have the, light, the history. I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the future. I don't have the mind. Jesus, I, I, I struggle so much to understand why your kingdom is full of blessings for these people. And then, of course, if I'm listening well, I go, oh, sweet, I'm right in his crosshairs. I'm the very kind of person that he wants to move toward and say, you're blessed. Because this is the temptation that so many of us feel or hear in our world is for a brief moment you get a glimpse of the poverty of spirit that you have for a brief moment you realize that you're not full of righteousness you're hungry for it and you think that that might kick you out you think that might preclude you from being a part of God's kingdom work in this world and at the very beginning of his sermon Jesus goes "Uh uh-uh front and center you're the very person I'm coming for you want to know what I have in store I have in store a kind of people and a kind of life that takes all of these people and and showers blessing upon them. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Jesus kicks off his picture, his image of the kingdom that everybody's curious about who is following him by saying, I'm a king who blesses all the poor and all the powerless. That's what I do. As you sit here tonight, just 
two weeks into the school year or into the new year, one week in the school year. I know that for many of us, uh, if you haven't done this yet, it's probably terrifying for me to say this, but for many of us, we're actually looking out over the horizon of the next year, over finishing up college and what's, at, what's in store after that and what we're gonna do and what kind of resolutions we're gonna make, who we're gonna be. Like, like, like cars and rooms are getting clean and people are at the gym and somebody on version has started to read the Bible and we make all these new commitments because we're looking over the horizon of our life and we have some desires of what we want our life to look like this year. And we will all, in the midst of that process, be making two decisions, deciding what kind of life we wanna live and what kind of person we wanna be. And I wanna tell you that the Lord himself has invited you into his kingdom. He's given you a picture of what it looks like. And we're gonna see him unfold this picture before our eyes. And as we move toward this window, this Sermon on the Mount, to see what his kingdom looks like, because I know for many of us, like I said earlier, we're asking this question, Jesus, where are you leading me? What are you leading me into? So I've said I want to follow you, but what does that mean? And as he unfolds this picture, we're going to see what it looks like in our relationships, in our minds and in our hearts, in our anxieties and fears, in our judgment, in our possessions, in the religious activity that we do, in how we respond to hearing the word of God preached. We're going to see his kingdom unfold in all of these areas and get a very clear picture of the kind of life he has in store for his people and the kind of people he wants them to be. We're going to see a very clear picture of that. And as we see this unfold, the question, singular question, will be this. How will each of us respond to him? You may have said, I want to follow Jesus. And he's responding to us in the same way he's responding to his people in Matthew chapter 4 and 5. He comes up the side of the mountain a little bit so you can see him and he sits down and he opens his mouth and he begins to tell you, so you wanna follow me? An interesting study, I bring this up from time to time, an interesting study would be for you to look at all the times in the New Testament in the gospel accounts, the first four books of the Bible, that somebody said they wanted to follow Jesus and look at the way he responds to them. It's intense. We get a glimpse of his power and of his compassion and of his kindness and of his articulate nature and of the way that he, probably, I don't, I've never seen him walk, but I bet you the way he walked even, there was just something about him. Like I couldn't point it out, but there's something about him that made me just want to know more. Always on purpose, never in a hurry. Something like that. I don't know. But he begins, when I say, Jesus, I think I want to follow you. Some people are willing to change their names to follow this guy, quit careers to follow this guy. I think I want to follow you. And he goes, really? Great, let me tell you about what life is in store. And the reason he tells you this, the reason he doesn't hide it, and he brings it front and center, is because he says, you, I made you on purpose with intention and with the dignity of having the ability to choose me or not. And I will not coerce you or manipulate you. I will tell you exactly what I have in store. And I hope you want it to. It's good. It's abundant life. But it is coming against what you might think it is. It's for the poor in spirit. It's for those who mourn. It's for those who are meek. It's for the peacemakers, not the winners. It's for these kinds of people. And that might stifle you. But the question as he begins to unfold it is how are you going to respond to Jesus' invitation into his kingdom life? This is what we know about the kingdom of God as the king begins to paint the picture. It's a kingdom of blessing. It's a kingdom of blessing. Before he ever asks us to do anything, he blesses. This is who he is. 
This is how he begins his teaching on what his kingdom and life is like. And for all of us here who are deciding what we want and who we want to be, he is very clear in his blessings, in this beatitude section, that there isn't a single one of us in this room that is too far from his reach. Not a single one. None of you are too poor. None of you read into your persecution and think you must not be included in his people. None of you are too meek. None of you who hunger and thirst for righteousness need worry because one day you'll be filled. This is how Jesus begins his teaching of his kingdom. As we begin to move into the rest of it, I wanna remind you, this whole thing, this whole sermon he's about to teach is couched in blessing. It's couched in blessing. It's Matthews chapter five through seven. I would love it if you'd read it often in the next five, six, seven weeks with me. I'm gonna pray for us. The worship team's gonna come back up. And just so you know, every single night, um, between now and the time we end our night, there's a prayer team of student leaders that are waiting in the back over here just to pray with you if you ever wanna pray. Um, we'd love to pray for you in any way, okay? Let me pray for you now, um, and we'll respond to God in uh, worship music. Father, thank you for all my friends in this place. Um, would you be so gracious to us as um, to move toward each of us in the ways that we need you to move toward us? There are some in this room that are poor in spirit and some who are not. There are some in this room who are meek and others who are not. And I know in your blessings, you are not um, coming against those who are strong in spirit. Surely we have blessing in there already. But forbid that any of us feel like we are precluded from your kingdom because of our lack, because of our great need, because of our suffering. I know the year just started, but even with the people that spent a couple minutes praying before this night started, God, I heard great, of great suffering and of great need. And so would you move toward each of us? May your spirit tell each one of us um, the kind of blessing that you have for us and the way that you move toward us. May we know that the great king, the high king of all creation has invited every single one of us into his kingdom and that each of us must make a decision. We will not enter it, do it by accident. So open our eyes and our hearts and our mind to what your kingdom looks like as we hear your word, as we read of the sermons that your son preached. And may we enter into your kingdom or may you bring it into our lives or whatever you do with your kingdom in us. I pray that it would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you be honored by the way we praise you now? Let us do it in honesty. Have mercy on us, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.